0: לפני שמתחילים, הודעה קצרה. אם אתם אוהבים את הפודקאסט הזה, אתם כנראה אנשים ממש מיוחדים ומרתקים. אז אם לכם לפגוש עוד אנשים כמותכם, וגם אותי, וגם את רלי, אנחנו עושים מפגש עוקבים שלישי. ביום חמישי, בתאריך התשיעי למאי 24, בין השעות 7.30 ל-11.30, אנחנו הולכים לקיים מפגש עוקבים שלישי בבית שלי בנופים בשמרון. מה בתוכנית? מינגלין וכיבודים עוד עוקבים מרתקים, כמוכם, הרצאה שלי, דיון לגבי הערוץ, ציור בסטודיו ובסוף קומזיץ ופיטות על הסאג' הרשמה מראש חובה וניתן לעשות זה בקישור שבתיאור הערוץ, או לחפש את הלינק ביוטיוב. נשמח מאוד מאוד לראות אתכם. ועכשיו, The Neuroscience of Intelligence by Professor Richard J. Heyer, one of my personal heroes. And this man was the man who got me into the fascinating world of intelligence. Hi, and welcome to my channel. My name is Dr. Roy Jozevich, and in this channel, I host and... Uh, and interviews the most interesting influential uh, people from all around the world to discuss science, religion, productivity, and intelligence. And today's guest, I'm really, really thrilled and honored to have on the show, Professor Richard J. Heyer. Professor Richard Heyer is, and I wrote it, is a professor emeritus at the Pediatric Neurobiology Division of School of Medicine at University of California. He has a PhD for John Hopkins University and is also the Editor-in-Chief of the journal Intelligence since uh, uh, 2016, and is also the author of the book, The Neuroscience of Intelligence and the host or uh, the presenter of the fabulous, fabulous, fabulous course, the intelligent brain from the great courses this is a great great course so professor ohio thank you so much for coming how are you
1: well i'm fine it's a pleasure to talk to you
0: okay i i must tell you two uh, one week ago we have dr russell rowan and your name came out uh, came up a lot so i know, I, I know him he's uh, he's just
1: written a very interesting
0: book Yes, so uh, let me start, uh, let me start because you're the Editor-in-Chief of Intelligence, which is the journal that speaks about intelligence. Uh, I was informed like two weeks ago, that Stefan Molyneux, the, the radio host, was banned from YouTube, partly because he was, and I quote, obsessed with IQ. So Stefan Molinox was banned from YouTube, Patreon, PayPal, everything. And my question is, uh, is uh, IQ research flourish these days, or you also feel the heavy end of the PC movement?
1: Well, all intelligence researchers find uh, it uh, an uphill struggle sometimes to tell the public about the research advances about intelligence. For, for decades, there's been a, um, a feeling or a belief that intelligence research is inherently unfair. And uh, this comes from findings about average group differences, which is a tiny part of intelligence research, just a tiny part. And over the last uh, couple of decades, intelligence research has moved much more toward neuroscience. And it's a very fascinating story. So most intelligence researchers who focus on psychometrics and neuroscience, um, they're happy to do that work. And most of them try, whenever an opportunity arises, to explain to to people who don't know about research, just the very basics, that intelligence tests are not inherently biased Uh, against anybody really. That intelligence tests do predict real world things that most people are concerned about. And that uh, human intelligence is an extremely important phenomenon about being human that can be understood at least in part on, on a scientific basis. It's not easy, it's a complicated construct very difficult to, uh, to uh, come up with ways to assess it. There is no direct way to assess intelligence. They're all basically estimates at this time. Nonetheless, those estimates, the assessments that lead to those estimates can be used for a number of scientific uh, studies, everything from brain imaging, to genetics, to organizational psychology, to management, A lot of practical, real-world things depend on intelligence.
0: This is very, very uh, interesting. What you just said, because basically, if you speak about intelligence, and I I speak a lot about intelligence, so there are two very inflammatory subjects. One is IQ and race, and IQ and and difference in cognitive differences between the sexes. So you say basically those are two very inflammatory subjects, but nonetheless, there are. Like a fraction of what intelligence research really encapsulates, yes? Um, Less so for sex
1: differences. 15 years ago, you would be correct to put sex differences and race differences together as both inflammatory. It's much less, it's it's much easier to talk about differences uh, between men and women now because research has shown that those differences when they exist at all are very small and essentially inconsequential. And what's interesting, however, with some brain imaging studies do show that when men and women are equated for an IQ test, for example, so they have the same average IQ, they might solve problems with different parts of the brain. This is still an open question. The early research was suggestive of this, but those sample sizes were very small and need to be replicated. Some of the newer studies with bigger sample sizes do not find uh, brain, uh, brain differences between men and women while they're solving problems, but other studies do. So it's still an open question. There's hardly any practical uh, implication of finding those differences. Uh, right now. Um, what will be interesting if uh, we come up with better ways to treat stroke and brain uh, disorders.
0: And Alzheimer. Uh,
1: like Alzheimer's that might affect men and women in general with different pathways and different sequences of, of events. So it's very important to know these things because they might lead to better diagnosis Um, and uh, possibly better treatments for for brain illnesses if it turns out sex differences are important. So I I hardly get any uh, real negative feedback when I talk to the public about male-female differences. Uh, the, The one area on sex differences that's still an issue is when you look at the normal distribution of IQ Uh, the means for men and women are essentially the same. There might be a tiny difference, it's it's subject to debate, but they're essentially the same, except out on the extreme end for mathematical ability. For mathematical ability, there seem to be more men than women at the extreme high end. There are women at the extreme high end.
0: And there are more men than women on the extreme left. So, so basically the curve is like more, uh, more flat. Therefore we will see more men in the extremes. And this is part of what Ted Hill uh, theory was that we tend to go to the extreme. The male want to go to the extreme and we see it throughout all the animal kingdom. And this was like something that Darwin always, uh, already noticed that the male tend to be more extreme extremist in almost any any feature? Yes, that, that's
1: generally correct. There are more men at the low end of IQ and more men at the, the the high end, but there are men, there are women at both ends too. If you think about when you get to extreme mathematical ability, extremely good, there are plenty of women who are extremely good, and the the average man on math is the same as the average woman, pretty much. It's really mm-hmm how many people are at the the extreme and there seems to be an advantage which for men which might explain why there are more men in uh, mathematics and engineering and and other uh, vocations that require mathematical ability it that does not mean however that women can't do it (laughs)
0: No, no, no yeah. of course, no. It, it's I, 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 because because I write it a lot in my book. But let me just fuse together two theories. We have Helmut Nyborg theory, which says basically the same thing: is that that IQ for men and women is basically equal because we because we thought in the beginning that it was equal. So any question that was lean that leaned toward one sex was omitted from the original test. This is also. Arthur, Arthur Jensen uh, idea in his book. So, and but intelligence is positively correlated with brain size, and men brain size is bigger than women brain size, even controlling for uh, for uh, body weight. So, if it is actually so we should expect that men's average IQ will be slightly higher than women's average IQ. Now, this slightly can be three points, two points, four points. Nevertheless, if you, it doesn't matter on the, in, on the center, but it's tremendously important on the right-left. So even if you don't change the variance of the normal distribution, even if you just shift, the men uh, normal distribution three points to the right in the extreme end 150, we will see much, much more men. What do you think about this theory?
1: This is uh, the position that a lot of people take and the data seems to support that, but it gets so complex because of social roles and whether or not women have the same opportunities early on, it's a very complex problem and uh, so, for most IQ researchers are not interested in that. Uh, ed- educators, uh, people interested in the disparity between men and women in, in the workplace, they're more interested in that kind of data. But as far as the, the intelligence research community goes, uh, men and women are essentially equal, whether or not uh, one group has an advantage over the other group for certain spe- highly specific mental abilities. It could be true that, that women have uh, some verbal advantage over men uh, at the high end. Uh, but again, this is a, a tiny part. Uh, and that's, the, the male-female differences become much less controversial. The racial, the average group differences among races has always been controversial, it always will be controversial, and I'm not sure there's any new data on this. What's new is uh, genetic and and DNA data trying to tie uh, psychometric scores to DNA-defined groups, and we're still at a very early stage of that. That only becomes important at some point if you want to predict IQ from DNA, then you might have to have a different kind of prediction, a different equation uh, in for different groups. Uh, what all this means on any practical level is not so clear. What you hope is on a molecular level, at some point, all these very um, uh, intricate uh, and complex and convoluted uh, biochemical relationships from genes to behavior can be disentangled in, in some way to really tell us about the, the neural basis of intelligence or the neuroscience basis of intelligence. We're a long way from that. But there is there is movement in that direction.
0: But part of uh, Steve Shur research, if, if, if I get it correctly, is that I can screen, I can predict your IQ by screening the DNA of embryos. And this is part of the, of the goal. And if you and if you can achieve this, you can screen not for the, uh, not for just man, or a boy or, or a girl in an uh, IVF, but also can choose or pick the most intelligent embryo and put it back. So, so now it is still science fiction or we are, heading towards uh, this goal?
1: It's not quite as simple as you said, because whatever uh, genes might exist that contribute to higher intelligence might also contribute to negative uh, consequences. So at this point, nobody really knows. Uh, there, you, can, you can do some prediction just based on DNA uh, particularly for embryos that might have a higher probability of mental retardation at the lower end. Uh, that's how most of this data is used now. Theoretically, it can be used to pick at the higher end, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And it's only a, a, a prob You're only increasing the probability. And right now, you're not increasing the probability all that much, Um Again, it's one of these complicated social things, but there's an awful lot of good discussion about it among various uh, aspects of, of the public. So at some point if the science gets there, people will know about it and um, uh, make some, uh, some decisions about how every science uh, about how every uh, uh, country, how every uh, society, Wants to think about or, or regulate that.
0: Yeah. Um, if- <laughs> yes, but maybe if the U.S. Uh, won't regulate it, so rich people will uh, fly to China and do whatever they want to do there. So it's again a very complex issue, indeed. So I I, I couldn't agree more. So with the mission, since those two topics are no, since the uh, uh, sex dif- differences is a. Uh, is like a, a sub part of intelligence, I want, with your permission, to go to 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 see the big picture. Now, uh, in your book, you mentioned several definitions to intelligence. One of my favorite, and you said one of your favorite is, intelligence is what you're using when you don't know what to do. So it's a great, it's a great definition. Uh, uh, less, uh, less complex than uh, Linda Gottfredson but nonetheless it's 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 a great wow this is intelligence oh okay so my question to you is uh, intelligence is basically a measure of how smart you are and there is like a a pain in the butt in 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 the uh, in in this notion because we have savants idiot savants and idiot savants are like how can it be, how Kim Peek can be with intelligence of 85 or 87, how we can make, how we can see tremendously uh, 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 gifted in a, a, a tremendously cognitively, cognitive gifted people, but however, they are not intelligent. So how do you, after 40 years in intelligence research, can explain the, the phenomenon of savants.
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Next
0: question. <laughs> there, there are
1: really two questions. The first question is how do they do it, and the second question is why can't I do that? Yeah. <laughs> and and the um, the the way I talk about this uh, basically is with the concept of G or general intelligence, and. Most intelligence tests measure this general ability to reason and problem solve. It's not a specific. It's not limited to to a specific uh, cognitive domain like musical ability or mathematical ability. It's the general ability that's under that underlies all other mental abilities, and that, that's what intelligence tests tend to measure. So it's a general ability what um and there you have the the, the diagram of
0: uh i can't prepared <laughs> uh,
1: so g is a big part of uh an iq score but there are other aspects of intelligence other than g uh there are other factors of visual spatial ability numerical ability there are these specific mental abilities and savants are very unusual very rare and very unusual people who seem to excel at certain specific mental abilities, but have little, if any, of the general uh, ability. And often, they literally cannot take care of themselves. They need caregivers. They can't learn to tie their shoes. They, they just cannot maintain themselves. Yet, they can do things like uh, play the piano in any style after hearing a piece of music just once. Um, they can tell you they can uh, tell you what day of the week any date in history was or what uh, or what that uh, day of the week would be on any date in in the future this calendar calculating ability
0: and Daniel um, Tammet, for example can feel pi can feel the number pi it doesn't just remember the number pi we we have seen experiments when sh- someone's just shift one digit and he became irritated. He, he 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 became angry. So he just he can feel like a pattern in an unpattern irrational number, which is beyond. Uh, how can he do it? And again, so so basically, I think that this diagram is extremely important. So we have mental abilities, and this encapsulates everything. Music and day of the week and and like uh, uh, knowledge everything and intelligence. If I quote you, is the part of mental abilities that related to everyday uh, activities.
1: Um, not necessarily everyday activity, but ge- general activities, ge- general ability.
0: And IQ yeah. is a big is a big predict is a good predictor of intelligence and the and the G. Is a good predictor of IQ. So G is like the general factor which considered to be more genetic, more uh, be more biological. Yes. Yes. Okay. So again, we don't know how does it happen or how is it possible that we have like Daniel Tammet or Kim Peek, and but no matter what they are doing, they're doing something else than normal two-digit. Multiplication that we do like an intelligent test. Yes?
1: We don't even know. I mean, there have been experiments with real savants to try to figure out cognitively what they're doing. And uh, there's been some brain imaging of, of uh, savants. The problem is they're so rare, it's hard to generalize from these studies. They definitely uh, are doing something different. The brains seem to be wired a little differently. But how you get from different wiring in the brain or different uh, functional activity in the brain to the amazing abilities they have. Uh, Who knows? But again, I'm a little more interested in why can't I do it? I would like to be able to do this. You know, Einstein couldn't do those things.
0: Einstein couldn't solve a Thomas Edison IQ test. So... Uh, well,
1: that's, Yeah, that's, uh, it wasn't a, something to solve. It was just general information that not everybody would have.
0: Okay, so from that, there is a wonderful quote in your book, and that goes like this, I, I hope that I get it out, that even if intelligence is 100% environmental, It is also 100% biological. So could you please elaborate on this? Because I think that the nature versus nature is like an extremely important thing. And one section of your book is also called nature more than nurture. So what do you mean by that even if if intelligence is 100% environment, it is also 100% in your brain?
1: Well... Everything about intelligence comes from the brain. It's the way you think. Now, it could be that if you are raised in a terrible environment, this will affect your thinking, but it affects the thinking by affecting the brain. And somehow that has to be a biological uh, mechanism so that if you grow up in very limited uh, Uh, with very limited stimulation, that affects your brain, which will then affect possibly the way you think. Um, So one of the interesting things about studies of, of language acquisition is that if infants are not exposed to the sound of a language in the first several months of life, when they're ready to speak, they won't be able to learn their own language that well this is why when you learn a second language or a third language if you've never been exposed to the sounds of that language as an infant you will tend to speak with an accent because the brain has not formulated itself the brain has not
0: tell me about developed.
1: it <laughs> yeah, so Uh, many people understand, many people like myself have no facility to learn other languages. I've studied several languages. I have a tremendously hard time, especially with the pronunciation. And I think that's because one reason is my developing brain was not exposed to those sounds. Um, So again, um, there's no doubt that Things that happen in the environment, environmental stimulation affects the developing brain. But that's a biological process. And that's what I mean when I say intelligence has to be 100% biological, even if that biology was influenced by non-biological factors. So when you talk about genetics, genetics is biology. If something is genetic, like intelligence has some genetic component, we know this is is true. Therefore, it must have some biology component because that's how genes work. That doesn't mean that you can't influence that biological mechanism by external things that happen in the environment. That's where this concept of epigenetics comes in in trying to understand the interaction between uh, gene uh, products and uh, gene function and uh, environment. And this is extremely complex to disentangle. There are many people who work in genetics who say it's so complex that it can never be disentangled.
0: So again, epigenetics, because I think many people uh, think that epigenetics is like the uh, magic, magical world or like the magic answer for many of the, of, of, of the issues, of the uh, hot issues that we are facing. So basically you said in your book and in your great lectures that, people usually was uh, were afraid of the word genetics because they felt that genetics mean that you can you, that you cannot change it so if if like a crime tendency is genetics or alzheimer or uh, schizophrenia for example is genetics so there is absolutely nothing that you can do to change it and one of the researchers you quoted uh, that was that uh, that when this research was shown, it just uh, 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 fainted because, wow. So, uh, but nowadays we go, we don't say it like this. We basically say, listen, we have the genetics, but what, uh, what decides whether a, a specific gene will activate its function or not can be the environment or the external environment. So this is basically the role epigenetics play. Epigenetics is like the environment that decides which of the switches to turn on and off. Would you Epigenetics,
1: say genetics it, you, uh, you uh, right, it's a magical word? People think it has some explanatory power, it doesn't have any explanatory power. It's an idea, it's a, it, it's a, it's a hypothesis, but what it and it's a very general hypothesis that somehow the environment influences some specific genes that has some kind of result way downstream when you get to intelligence. But understanding all the the cascade of events and steps uh, among those things, this is a real challenge. But you're right that it's a magical word. So far it doesn't explain anything. There are no examples, as far as I know, of specific environmental stimuli that affect specific genes, to produce some outcome. And ironically, you can't even do that research until you have the genes. (laughs) You gotta know the genes, and then you can see what range of environmental stimuli affect the genes and then the range of outcomes Uh, um so there's a there's a a, this is a a nice touch
0: regarding epigenetics because in order to uh, utilize epigenetics you must use the genes and then you must say ah basically it is genetics so if we if we want to to escape the genetic path we can't escape to the epigenetics because it uh, it's just will force us it will force us to go back to search for specific genes that control intelligence
1: Yes, so that for a long time, the predominant thinking is that people have lower IQs because they weren't stimulated in some way as children. So if that's true, if you provide children with more stimulation, they will be more intelligent. They'll be smarter. That's why we have a preschool education, things like Head Start. All of all that started because of the belief that more stimulation in childhood would lead to higher intelligence scores. And so far, that hasn't been true.
0: <laughs> uh, <clears throat> let me just uh, uh, <coughs> let me just quote Russell Barkley because he just said that we provide much more uh, children's s- stimulation than what we need. So he basically says, I read it from Hebrew, so I will translate. The idea is that if a little bit is good, so a lot should be better, doesn't apply it. All, uh, every child is born with more than 500 physical or psychological attributes that will come out as long a- as he will get older. And the connection between those attributes and what we can do as parents is very limited. A child is not, a child is not a blank slate. So basically, Russell Barkley said, "Listen, we supply much more in much more stimulation than the bare minimum. So it doesn't go. So there is like a, a, a peak in the curve. If you, it's like uh, if 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 I don't feed you enough, you want to reach your highest potential." Ad- Potential potential height, but if I will feed you more, you will just be fatter.
1: Yes. So most parents want the best for their children. They want that to reach their maximum potential, but that maximum potential may be limited by factors beyond the control of parents. And by the way, most parents of of two or more children know this. Yes, <laughs> because they can see the their their, their their the siblings grow up in the same environment and often they have vastly different cognitive abilities. Let, so me, how-
0: let me just give you like a, a fact that many people, is uh, that some people uh, explains using in uh, environment. We know that the oldest uh, child in the family is usually have a higher IQ. And we also know that twins tend to have lower IQ compared to their siblings. Now, uh, if, If environment or language does play a significant role, we can say that the uh, first-born child only hears his parents, and he like and he hears a sophisticated language. But the second-born child also hears his older brother or older sister, and then he also hears like a very simple language. And this can be the reason why the oldest is like has more intelligence on average than the second?
1: Well, these are, hypo- I mean, this is one of many hypotheses. And the key thing about a hypothesis is that it has to be testable. And what you just said is a testable hypothesis. I don't know the data on this. There's a lot of data on firstborns and my understanding of that literature, it's been a while since I looked at it, but the differences are not really very dramatic.
0: Okay, so uh, with, with your permission, because uh, this is what you said, he, uh, I proper this, and you said uh, something that struck me in, in a recent interview is that you said, don't fall in, in love with your theories. And one of the theory was the brain efficiency theory, which is a great, <laughs> a great theory. So before we get into what happened three years ago in a conference in Germany, could you please explain what the brain efficiency theory is?
1: Well, in 1988, I was lucky enough to have access to some of the earliest brain imaging. It was called positron emission tomography. This was about a dozen years before MRI scans. And this picture that you're showing uh, became a, a, a very widely distributed figure the uh, two images on, on the right uh, are mostly uh, greenish, and they are showing <clears throat> brain activity in a person with very high IQ. He's old
0: thirty-three Raven uh, uh, Raven Raven questions or so Raven matrices. Yes. So that's an
1: that's an IQ test and uh, a, a good G test. And, and those two images on the right are from the same person. It's kind of an upper slice and a mid-level slice. And you have the same two slices on the left from a different person who had a much lower score. And it's mostly red. And the reds, the, scale and the scaling colors in this picture are that the red and the yellow show the highest activity. Uh, this is measured as glucose metabolic rate. Uh, And so uh, the person on the left with the score of 11, their brain is actually much more active while they're solving the intelligence test problems than the person on the right. And this finding from this little study, which was the first of its kind, led us to speculate that intelligence was more related to how efficiently your brain was working rather than how hard your brain was working. Prior to this study, there was an assumption among researchers that smart people, their brains would just work harder. This showed the opposite. And so this idea of brain efficiency being related to intelligence became quite a popular hypothesis and has been now tested in many, many brain imaging studies.
0: And, and it is very, uh, uh, just excuse me, and it is very logical, because if you have like uh, two cars, one is like Tesla X and the other is Fiat Punto, and they are both tried to climb the mountain, the Tesla will, uh, uh, will walk uh, uh, less hard, and, and, and the Fiat Punto will because the engine is better with the Tesla, so it is very, uh, it is a logical theory that makes sense, but.
1: Well, you know, I hear that a lot. Uh, before we actually saw that data, most people didn't believe that though. Most people believe the harder the brain worked, the more intelligent. So that, that early study got a lot of attention. That image you showed got a lot of attention. And now uh, let's see, here we are, what, 32 years later, 33 years later. And there've been a lot of studies of the brain uh, efficiency hypothesis. And I heard a summary of this uh, at a conference uh, in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, by a a group from uh, Germany who had done a lot of interesting brain imaging work. And by the way, brain imaging studies have become extremely sophisticated. What I did in 1988 is literally laughable. By today's standards,
0: eight people, twenty-five thousand for a scan. <laughs> yes, yes,
1: yeah. uh, and I'm very aware of that. But it was a hypo- it generated a hypothesis. And the summary I heard at this conference of all the subsequent data basically, basically concluded the evidence for the brain efficiency hypothesis was not very strong. And the person giving this. <clears throat> Professor uh, Bastin, yeah, I was sitting right down front and I, and I know this woman, she's a very lovely woman, and, um, um, and uh, so the question and answer period came and I put up my hand and she kind of called on me wondering what I was going to say. And I said, you know, you, you're probably wondering what I, what I think when, when I sit here and I hear that this hypothesis that we generated, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, doesn't seem to be correct. And I, 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 think, I think it's terrific. It's, it, was a, it was a testable hypothesis. You've, you and many others have now tested it. It's led to all kinds of much more sophisticated information. We now have brain connectivity efficiency and different kinds of efficiency. And it's fabulous. And so I was very delighted to, to, to hear this talk uh, so because you. you don't fall in love with your theories. They're testable and uh, most intelligence researchers take this this feeling they're not out to prove that something is right they're out to figure out what what is true in nature
0: but now you now you think that the brain efficiency theory is not correct according to the latest yeah, data.
1: it's still you know, in my mind it's an open question uh there are studies that are consistent with it other studies that are inconsistent with it it's such a general concept. You know, what do you mean by efficiency exactly? And could efficiency be- Less brain
0: activity, for for example, less brain activity, as we saw in the image, in the fMRI, you can measure brain activity using like a a fMRI and blood in the fMRI. So if you have less brain activity, so uh, the brain, Work slower or in a more efficient way? No,
1: well, it it could be much more complicated. So, for example, there might be a dozen brain areas that are used to to work on a problem, and you're going back and forth, it's not just one, two, three, four. I mean, there's it is they're just all talking to each other. Parallel computing that some people only need eight brain areas to solve the problem. It might take the same amount of time, it might take the same amount of energy, but fewer circuits, fewer areas. So, and the brain connectivity studies that are now possible, that were not possible in 1988, uh, these studies are now uh, exploring these hypotheses different hypotheses about where in the brain efficiency might be and how efficiency might be achieved. And they're doing much larger samples. And so uh, I think the jury is still out exactly on whether brain efficiency uh, has something to do with uh, uh, individual differences in intelligence.
0: So I, I want to go back to what you just say: Don't fall in love with, with your theories and, again, make empirical uh make empirical hypothesis hypothesis just again
1: hypothesis
0: hypothesis yes again i didn't say it okay (laughs) make your own guess but uh uh, when i started reading about iq research i i I was like i didn't know anything and then i started with the bell curve uh, and then I, and then your book, and Ariel Hunt, and Macintosh, and basically everything that I could lay my hand on, and then I started to see that I'm I'm leaning toward the nature uh, thing, the uh, genetics, and then I said I must read another thing, and then I read Richard Nisbet, and from what I understand, if I have like. A, two figures, Richard Nisbet and Richard Lynn, or Arthur Jensen, for example. It seems that Arthur Jensen and Richard Lynn was were obsessed with empirical data, with empirical testing, where Richard Nisbet, a a great scholar as as he is, didn't provide didn't provide empirical data for his uh, theories. And and I I can see it again and again and again. We have like the genetics versus the environment. But Richard Lean and Arthur Jensen, they, they went across the world and tested people from different cultures. And Richard Nisbet just said, listen, it doesn't feel right, basically. Or Jared Diamond. Jared Diamond in Papua New Guinea didn't test the native there with an IQ test. He just said, mm, they are very smart. So, So how do you feel regarding this? Uh, this environmental thing basically supply uh, n- almost non- non-evidence.
1: I think you've summarized it well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Look, you, can critique, you can critique the empirical data. That's fair. Some of the critics depend on cherry picking alternative studies. It's much more complicated than that. And uh, there seems to be, you know, there are fair critics and then there are critics who set out to destroy the concept of intelligence. They just want the, um, yes, they they just want to explain away differences. They want everyone to have equal outcomes. Um, That's what they do, but, you know, if you look at the empirical data, you'll get a different impression. And it's not enough to say, look, these studies are flawed. Therefore, the opposite must be true. These studies are flawed, so you do better studies, or you have to do studies you know, on the environment. Well, it's hard to measure the environment. Well, yes, and it's hard to measure intelligence, but intelligence researchers have figured out ways to do it and people who want to, uh, you know, there's no real measure of environmental similarity. So do you wanna know if two households have similar environments? How do you do that?
0: Yeah, it is very- And if you very... can't
1: do that, how do you test hypotheses about the importance of the environment?
0: I would I even- know say... the
1: environment is true. Yeah. It, it, we know the environment has influence because genetic studies can only explain so much of, by genetics, the rest has to be environment. But there's also an interaction and there's also random events, by the way. You know, the the brain uh, develops um, from genetic instructions impacted by environmental influences in the context of random events, random developmental uh, events. So all these things together, it's a complex picture. So just talking about uh, nature versus nurture uh, doesn't get you that far. You have to figure out uh, how those things interact and you have to start with the genetics, I think, because you can measure that.
0: I would even say that I think that uh, Professor Nisbet is digging his own whole because basically is uh, theory is that a uh, IQ of seventy for below a uh, Sahara Africans is impossible, you just say uh, it, it can't be done, it, 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 it can't be true, because 70 in a uh, IQ of 70 in the US means that you are almost totally retarded but but and, uh, and then he concludes that the IQ of the sub Saharan Africans much must be higher, but in speculating this theory he said let's say that it's higher as one standard deviation upper which is 85 but if sub-saharan africans have 85 iq and people and the black community in the u.s has also 85 so basically environment plays no role because you can't imagine two more different environments than new york and sub-saharan africa so in a way saying that sub-Saharan Africans cannot have an, 70, an, an average score of, uh, of, of, of 70 in a way uh, emphasizes and strengthen the genetic theory of IQ. What do you think?
1: Well, there, that's one way to look at it. This is not my area of specialty, but if you believe that culture determines IQ more than anything else, you just have to show it, what aspects of culture. And if you have a group that has a, a, a lower average uh, test result, I'm not gonna call it intelligence, I'm gonna call it a test result. Mm-hmm. What is it about the culture, about that culture that leads to the lower score? These are things that, that people have to answer if that's the theory they wanna test.
0: But I can a tell you- I can also people answer. are not
1: interested in testing. They're interested in stating as you point yeah. out so you know if, if you write a book on how to get uh, how to be more intelligent somewhere in the book there should be very practical things about how you'd be intelligent just think saying things like eat a good diet sleep well <laughs> exercise
0: breastfeed yourself <laughs> you know,
1: what what uh, oh that doesn't work by the way that data turns out not to be true uh yes yeah so uh bigger studies showed that those early studies just weren't correct so yeah there's there's really um uh a lot of criticism some of it is constructive much of it is more political
0: and i would say i i i spoke with Garrett jones and he said I don't understand this at all because you have two options. One is say IQ is mostly genetics and two is say IQ is mostly culture. And what do you think we will be able to solve first, the genetics part or the culture part? We don't even know how to approach approach culture. So we should favor the genetics because in genetics we we at least have have a route to solve something. We know how to approach genetic problems, with medicine, et cetera. But if the IQ differences between the Jewish community in the U.S. and the Hispanic community in, in the U.S. are totally environment, as James Flynn st- uh, stated, that's yes, the Jewish mother uh, versus the black mother who, who wishes that her son will be in, in the sport team. So how, how do you approach it? So we should favor something that we can fix.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, uh, but that's, you know, that's what the people who wanna test ideas about culture have to figure out.
0: Now, I had Joe Heinrich on the show two weeks ago and he just write he just wrote a wonderful book about why the West became so popular, the richest people in the world. And he's like a student of Jared Diamond. And then I, I, I asked him, uh, some of the intelligence questions that I'm uh, addressing you, and I, he actually believes that if you take a newborn twins, uh, no tw- twins is not a good, a newborn uh, 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 from Papua New Guinea, and place him in New York, he will have like the same amount of, uh, uh, of he will reach to the same level of IQ. So, of is a yeah it will reach to the same level of iq in the u.s so basically if we see if we think that james flynn theory is correct and people in the west developed something that you know we are leaning towards the abstraction and the scientific it should be presented in our uh, brain in our brain circuits so basically he also is like He's, he I think that he's very afraid as being part of of Harvard uni, uni, University to say listen it is not pure environment
1: well let's 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 talk about you for a minute explain to me what environment you missed as a child so today you are not a theoretical physicist
0: uh, I, no, 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 just a second, but I can't, I, I, I can't explain you this, but just a second, I can explain you why many girls were, uh, many girls in Israel were pushed away and in the, especially in the religious community, and I'm part of the religious community, were pushed away from the science because they were their teacher, the female teachers uh, encouraged them to pursue a, to don't pursue a career. So basically I can say that some, uh, that you can have an environment that can push you away from your full potential. Yes, I can No say-
1: question about that. Everybody I think understands that. The, what intelligence researchers can contribute is the data to show that there are women who are very capable who don't get a chance and they should get a chance. That's the, that's the social outcome of knowing the data. Now, if your social or cultural environment says otherwise, that basically says we don't care, uh, or we don't think that's true, we don't think women can do that, that's another issue. That has nothing to do with, with, uh, with intelligence research. But intelligence research all all of this psychometric research all this testing research it all speaks to the idea that every individual has to be treated as an individual not as a member of a group you don't know just because someone is a female or a male whether they're going to be a, a mathematician you
0: can yes but yes but most people but but again okay i am totally agree but most people are not Ramanujan, who just you know just invented the old math in in, in a small village in India. If you don't have the uh, if you don't have like a physics uh, a, a physics class in a, in a, in a school, even if you are extremely intelligent and extremely uh, smart, you are in a way pushed away from being a theoretical physicist. No,
1: no, no, no question. But I was making a different point. Did you have any early experience as a child? That did, can you imagine having a different early experience ah, okay. as a child that would have led you to become a theoretical physicist?
0: Since I became a, I have a PhD in electrical engineering. I know that I'm not smart enough to have a PhD in theoretical physics. I know. Because I, I live in, in the academia, in, in the exact sciences, there are people who are much, much more smarter and intelligent than I. And basically there is nothing that I can do in order to become like, I, I can read papers and say, wow, this is like, it is beyond my capacity even to understand it. Yes. So
1: you have insight, one way to say this is that you have some insight into your cognitive limits.
0: Yes, and this is, a, this is very, very stressful, because most of, most of my neighbors consider me to be the smartest one in the neighborhood. But however, I can, because I'm speaking with you, I speak with Joe Heinrich, I speak with the most intelligent people from all around the world, and I can see, I can see the gap. And I can see that there is nothing I can do about, you know, about this gap. I was just born like this.
1: Well, and that, that's kind of the, the, the point. So if someone believes you can take any individual, it doesn't matter if they're from a different culture, you can take any individual from the same culture and raise them with all the stimulation, all the role models, all the advantages you can think of, and they're still average. <laughs> what do you conclude from that?
0: I think, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And again, the best evidence is someone with more than one child. If you have two children, there is very little you can do in order to uh, to steer one child in the direction of the second child. It just doesn't work. So again, but, but, but it's not, it, it wasn't my question. My question is, is uh, after 100 years of the scientific revolution, what basically what just James Flynn said, that we are leaning toward the abstraction right now, is our brain as an infant born in, in Tel Aviv or in New York is wired differently as an infant than the brain of the people in Papua New Guinea. Um,
1: it might be wired uh, differently in in some ways it, th- but uh, it's it's a, something to test it's it's something to test um, and this is why uh, it could be wired differently for DNA reasons or from stimulation reasons that's this is why as they collect DNA samples from around the world and do brain imaging uh, on people from around the world, you begin to get some data on, on this complex interaction. Um, so that, that's uh, the, the direction it's moving. It would be, what I wanted to say was it would be awfully nice if all the differences among people were due to diff- different environments by chance, so that if you have programs to correct those environmental differences, the, di- the, the behavioral differences or the cognitive differences would, would disappear or become minimal. And that's what's been, in the United States, we've been doing that for 50 or 60 years with you know early childhood education, and it doesn't seem to have an impact on mental abilities. It has other impacts that seem to be positive uh, and it's that, a good thing to do. I'm not against doing it because it seems to be helpful in, in other areas, but it doesn't raise... Acquire numbers. study
0: skills, for example. This is one thing that you said, that all all those programs acquire or give you as a child, like study habits, which are extremely important later on in your life, but it doesn't increase your intelligence. So we can do the Head Start, which is a 1 billion, uh, 1 trillion, I don't know how many one trillion program, but eventually we won't see any difference whatsoever. Although James Flynn uh, also stated that the IQ gap is was reduced to, I think 12 points or something like this. So yeah, it,
1: and that uh, all that is is good, but I wanna think about the next level. I wanna think about uh, understanding the non-environmental aspects because those are the ones that I think can be manipulated to really make a big difference. So that if you have somebody with an IQ of, uh, of 85 and you can get them to 95 or 100, that's gonna make an enormous difference in that person's life
0: enormous oh, difference yeah. in person yeah. life and enormous difference in society now with your permission we'd like to move on to the next uh, uh to the last two questions one is like a big one but it is imp- important uh there is a chapter in your course uh which is the the mind in the brain in milliseconds basically you expose us to the theory of ect ele- ele- elementary cognitive task where i ask you to do very very simple not cognitively demanding at all tasks but i time how fast you can do it and the faster you can do it is the more intelligent you are and this is extremely int- interesting because then you can say there is no cultural difference whatsoever because i just time you on a millisecond basis yes and this was uh- arthur jensen idea from his latest book Clocking the mind
1: Yes, it, it certainly minimizes cultural things. It, if the, People would argue that if you have a lot of experience uh, that Western people have with making decisions like that, you'll learn, you'll, you'll be faster on such a test. Uh, I don't know if that's, if that's true. But the idea, the fundamental idea is that you can measure brain processing speed in milliseconds and milliseconds is, a, is, a, uh, is a, an absolute number. You could have z- and zero and 100 milliseconds is twice as slow as 50 milliseconds. Whereas uh, IQ points are on a different kind of scale. They're on an interval scale. And that's what's holding uh, intelligence testing or intelligence research back somewhat is that there's no absolute measure. So Jensen proposed that brain processing speed measured in milliseconds might be a better measure, that people <clears throat> who solve problems faster might be uh, have a cognitive uh, advantage. And when he says faster, he's talking about how fast you can press a button when a light flash comes on or when multiple light flashes come on, you're supposed to pick the one that's furthest away Uh, there's a little bit of cognition there, but the speed with which you can uh, react to this, he thought might be an alternative measure of intelligence. Nobody is working on this now. It turns out to be a very complex problem. Um, If you could have, um, it it has to be a computer-generated thing. And because of differences in computer speeds and things, it turns out to be a hard problem. As far as I know, no one's working on Coming up with an intelligence test based on reaction time.
0: This is very strange. I I I I started. Uh, I uh, I'm I'm involved in a startup that we wish to change Bender uh, motoric test for children with something that involves artificial intelligence. And one of the things that 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 we are doing is like this. Tests of like very simple ECT tests, and we time it according to and and we time it. So right now I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm working on on this. But again, many people say that you cannot uh, that every every computer uses a different uh, a different set of times and a different. Uh, like, different times so you cannot measure it but i don't think that this is a real problem because our modern computers times things in nanoseconds so yes, there are ways
1: to solve this problem i just don't know that yes. anybody's working on it to make it a you know to test several uh, thousand people uh, on reaction time tests and then correlate that to psychometric scores that uh, people have tried this I was part of this uh, back in the year two thousand, uh, but it just hasn't gone anywhere.
0: And this will be a very, very fast intelligent test because you're just. You know, I'm just going to time you for like five minutes in on, on, on different uh, on on different tasks, and then I will know uh, your your IQ. Now, again, from what I read, the correlation or the current correlation between those tests and uh, and IQ tests are probably is. Point five, so they're not very, very correlated. They're mediocre.
1: And- that that that's correct. Now it might get better if you have the right task. Yes. Uh, and and or the right battery of tasks. It would be better to have a battery of tasks, maybe five or six tasks, each one lasting thirty or fifty
0: seconds. I, and, and you think that what drove Arthur Jensen into this field was the critique that he got from his G-factor? So he said, listen, I will give you an IQ test that will, that will have no culture bias whatsoever.
1: Well, no, he, he understood. I, I mean, I knew Jensen and I've talked w- with him about this very issue. He understood that for intelligence research to become a natural science, It needed a a measure that was on a ratio scale, and he thought uh, that would be um, reaction time. And he thought if you could come up with a battery of tests where reaction time was the measure rather than the number of correct answers, that this would substitute for uh, intelligence tests. Uh, He thought the whole word. He thought even the word intelligence had been become so controversial that he. Preferred brain processing speed, and that's the book you mentioned. His last book on uh, clocking the mind, for anyone who's interested in this, this kind of lays out all the issues. Uh, and yes, some it is issues. a great book.
0: So again, uh, it's um, it is very strange because uh, I, I I think that you said that there are even in ECT even in those cognitive very. Ele- elementary task, you you can see uh, race biases because like some ethnic groups have like a shorter reaction time and shorter and higher and, and longer decision times. And even in this non-cultural test at all, you see that there are a, a very, that, that, there are a, that there are gaps or the differences between different eth- ethnic groups. And you, can, and you cannot blame culture. If one, if one group has like a higher reaction time and the other group has a higher decision time, what does it mean? What does it encapsulate?
1: Yeah, um, the, I think the, the, there's a lot of potential for good research in that area. And I, and I hope someone does it, especially if they can do it on a handheld device like a phone, that would be awesome
0: and the last question with your permission uh, in in your book uh, in the i think that just a second let, let me just quote it because it is extremely funny in the matrix oh the holy grail can neuroscience boost intelligence so let me just uh read one of your quotes uh, is neuroscience can boost intelligence and one of your quotes is, I know Kung Fu. So, which is Neo <laughs> in the matrix that he just uh, got all this Kung Fu material inside his head. So, again, we know the uh, limitless IQ pill that, that, that was like strike us uh, all. And he said, wow, can we have an anti-Z pill? Can we be like this mouse who, who, who is smarter? Can we... Uh, what do I need to do? Do I need to, uh, to listen to Mozart all day? there, there is. Please give us a, a subscription to be smarter.
1: Well, <laughs> um, let me put it this way. If I knew any, I'd be doing guess. that. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't do anything different after all my 40 years of doing research in this area. The only thing with my kids, I did I didn't restrict their computer gameplay. <laughs> I didn't think that would hurt them. Uh, if anything, I thought it might help, especially when they were young. There were just a second. Just
0: a second, Ishai. You can play what, how much you want, how many times you want. Okay, please keep going. Uh,
1: but uh, but uh, for myself. Um, I don't, there, there are no tips. I mean, I talk in the book about, you know, magazine writers are always calling me, they want tips for, to raise your IQ. There are no tips. What research can do is understand the neurobiological basis of intelligence and maybe figure out ways to have the brain wired a little differently during development. Um, uh, I think there's potential for understanding how to manipulate brain systems that uh, could make people smarter, uh, at least on average. Um, but th- th- that's really the holy grail. That's where all intelligence research is going.
0: Married uh, the right people, marry the right spouse. That's I the think. one
1: thing, that, that's the one practical thing to increase the probability is, you know, to, to have children with the smartest person you can find that will allow you to. <laughs> that wants to marry you. Or, I or, think that I this is know. part
0: of the Jewish of the Ash- or the Jewish of the Ashkenazi Jewish tradition, where we see the smartest people in 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 like in many philosophers are uh, singles with no kids. We have Sh- uh, Spinoza, Descartes, Immanuel Kant, Schopenhauer, etc. And the model of the smartest person in the Jewish community. Is what we call the Talmid Chacham, the the the, the Rabbi, and the Rabbi is usually uh, uh, marrying the the daughter of the richest people in the in the village. Therefore, they can have as many kids as they want. So basically, what you're doing, what you're saying right now is like a Judaism, uh, what Jewish were practicing for many 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 years, and this is some people say that this is part of what led to the uh, 15 points in uh, Ashkenazi Jew. Well, you what
1: you're saying is, what you're doing is giving an example of, of a cultural um, aspect that influences the genetics.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: So, you know, um, could be, I don't know. Um, there's a lot to figure out. I think um, when I started 40 years ago, the question was, is there a genetic component to intelligence or not?
0: <laughs> and now we are asking and, if there is an environmental component to intelligence or not.
1: Well, now we're asking uh, about specific genes. How do, you know What does what this gene function and how might that lead to uh, some brain mechanism that leads to uh, uh, being more intelligent? So we, we've come a long way.
0: Okay, now uh, I, I have like the last question. You are about to publish a new textbook, The Science of Human Intelligence, covering the latest research in the field with uh, the, a tribute to Earl Hunt in the cover I, I saw. Now, <laughs> what has been updated since the publication of the Neuroscience of Intelligence? This was uh, published in, two, in 2017, 2011,
1: 2011. It, what, most of the updates are on uh, the chapter on genetics completely rewritten and the chapter, there's now a chapter, a whole chapter on brain imaging, which is completely new. Uh, so uh, there's an update. Uh, those are really the main updates.
0: No, um, because but just a second, but the neuroscience of intelligence in, in, in your book, you mentioned uh, the Fin research, which was conducted in 2015. So how come the neuroscience of intelligence was published in, 20, in 2011?
1: the the uh
0: the I, first edition
1: maybe i misunderstood my book was published in 2000 the end of 2016 2017 oh Earl Hunt's book was published in 2000 no no no.
0: what has been updated no again i'm sorry what has been updated since the neuroscience of intelligence ah i see the science of human intelligence
1: yes uh, well it, it's the same answer basically the the uh the my book in, in 2017, The Neuroscience of Intelligence, ended with the Finn study, which had just come out, which is the first study of brain connectivity and intelligence. I thought it was a fabulous study. Could you They're please elaborate numbering.
0: on this study? Because it study states that basically your brain, the, the wiring of, of your brain is like a fingerprint. And I can see, and it's like a, just a fingerprint. And so how does it relate to intelligence?
1: Well, that the way brain areas are functionally related to each other is a stable relationship. And it's so stable, it's like a fingerprint. You can look at a person, a, a a person's brain connectivity and identify that person. It's unique to that person. Moreover, individual differences in those connectivity patterns are related to psychometric IQ scores. And that was a a phenomenal study. The question at the time was, is can it be replicated? And now it can be replicated. And it's those connectivity studies based on brain imaging are getting more sophisticated.
0: So again, the connectivity studies, connectivity means the wiring between different parts of the brain, yes?
1: Yeah. Yes, and it can be the actual wiring, which is structural connectivity, or it can be functional, functional connectivity area. about how those brain areas work with each other. And it's a fa- it, that's the most fascinating advance. And we go into that in great detail in the new book, which is not out yet.
0: Okay, but it will be out. So, Professor Richard, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. You are like a personal hero of mine after 40 years. One of your uh, professors was a, a, I forgot his name, Coleman? No. What was the name of your uh, professor that was like the big guru in the uh, in the IQ community, the professor who remember every IQ or SAT score of his students. Oh,
1: oh yes, Professor Julian Stanley. Julian Stanley, oh. Yes, when I was in graduate school at, at Hopkins, and he did uh, some very famous studies of mathematically precocious kids. Yes, and I I write about him in in the
0: book. He was- Yes, so you are a personal hero. I want to thank you personally for getting me into this fascinating world of intelligence and IQ and neuroscience of intelligence. Thank you so much. With your permission, since our uh, YouTube channel is also dealing with productivity, do you have like one, just one, a single productivity tip, how to become in your life, in your academic life, more productive
1: you have to be persistent oh persistence is the most important thing in academia
0: and this That's is one. from the man who <laughs> this is for the man who studied iq for over 40 years and the first race and and the and the one of the first to ever conduct and brain imaging study involving IQ and intelligence so professor Oyer, thank you so much for coming it was a pleasure a genuine pleasure speaking with you today thank you so much
1: thank you I'm happy to have the opportunity and uh, keep up with uh, keep up with uh, your uh, keeping up with intelligence research
0: it's gonna <laughs> get <you>. even better <laughs> thank you so much okay bye 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 bye. אם הגעתם עד לכאן, מגיע לכם כל הכבוד. עשנו לי להגיד לכם שלושה דברים קצרים. הדבר הראשון, אם שמעתם משהו בשיחה, אתכם, שאתם רוצים לקחת הלאה, פשוט ספרו אותו לאנשים אחרים. משהו מעניין שאני אמרתי, משהו מעניין שהאורח שלי אמר, איזשהו רעיון שאתם רוצים לקחת איתכם לחיים, פשוט ספרו אותו לחבר או לחברה. זאת הדרך ביותר, לזכור את הרעיונות מתוך השיחות האלה. ADבר השני, אם אתם רוצים לקחת חלק בקיילה שלנו, ולפגוש ולדבר עם אנשים כמוכם, אתם לערוץ, שלנו, שווה לכם מאוד. פשוט עוד אנשים מגניבים בדיוק כמוכם והדבר האחרון, אם אתם יכולים דרגו את הערוץ שלנו באפליקציית הפודקאסטים שלכם, זה יכול להיות בספוטיפיי, באפל פודקאסט או בגוגל פודקאסט, זה קצר של שתי שניות, הוא מאוד מאוד יעזור לנו להפיז את הבשורה הלאה, שיהיה לכם כיף גדול וכיף בשיחה הבאה.